Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Mary Angela. Hello, and I'm Eric. Here we are again for another episode of What Do You Know About That? Absolutely. And it's almost spring, Eric. It's almost spring. Yep. Uh, it's funny. Every time we, we start the show, we seem to always come back to the weather, but <laughs> clearly we're I mean, anxious to get back out there and the mask mandate has been lifted in Philadelphia. It has. That's big. You know, it's still encouraged in a lot of places and still required in a lot of places. You know, businesses can make their own decisions. So Exactly. And I honestly, I think it's not a bad thing. I mean, if I'm going into a hospital, honestly, I feel a lot more comfortable with people wearing masks because you have people who are sick who are going into the hospital who are susceptible to getting ill and also people who are sick who could potentially be contagious so i'm cool with that if masks stick around in the hospitals yeah i'm cool if it sticks around in the stores i mean i know it's not required in stores but i still wear mine in the store i'm too close to people i don't know exactly well you know as long as you don't feel any sort of stigma about it i think that's the most important thing that we don't stigmatize people for either wearing a mask or not wearing a mask but Certainly, I think lifting the mandate gives people some sense of returning back to something similar to what was normal from before the pandemic. So I'm sure most local businesses are probably happy to see that. Yeah, no. And I think the messaging of, you know, no no judgment either way. I mean, I would never be like, oh, my gosh, why are you wearing a mask? (laughs) That just wouldn't be something I do. So funny thing, you were telling me a story about when you went to go see Princess Bride at the Kimmel Center, right? Mm -hmm. So it was the was the Philly Orchestra that was backing them up? Yes, they they, they were playing the score as the movie played on a big screen. Yes. So so please tell us the story here. So it was really interesting because there are like three lines uh, in the Princess Bride that warranted like massive applause in the middle of this movie like just just an eruption of applause and it's because there were three very timely lines that I honestly never realized were in A Princess Bride until it was said and then it was like oh this is applicable and hilarious and that's why people applauded so two of them were um, kind of early on uh, in the film and um, it's when they see the man in black climbing up, the Dread Pirate Roberts climbing up the cliff to chase them. And they're all three of them are looking over the ledge at him. Right. And um, I don't remember which character it is, but I think it's Anigo Montoya's character. So just to preference, the guy's wearing a mask. Correct. And he says, never trust anyone wearing a mask. <laughs> mask. <laughs> and the whole audience erupted and started clapping and applauding. And it was amazing. And then he's fighting um, the giant, Andre the Giant's character, and he... Under the giant starts asking him why he's wearing a mask. Are you like horribly burned? Are you like whatever? And he says, no, like they're, they're just comfortable. They're terribly comfortable. And I think everyone's going to be wearing them in the future. Or right. Something to that effect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and everybody erupted in applause because we're all sitting in the Kimmel Center with our masks on. And then the last one was when um, he's uh, sitting down to the table to have the battle of wits with um, Vin- 
is it Vincini? Is that his name? Yes. Anyway, I forget the actor's name. Inconceivable. That guy. Yes. <laughs> he sits down to, to have a, a, a battle of wits with him. And he says, there are three things that, you know, everyone knows. And the first one is never get into a land war in Asia. And of course, bumps. yeah, due yes. to everything that's happening right now, people also erupted in applause. So, uh, um, yeah, it was very interesting. Yes. And amusing. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to getting back out and um, at least patronizing some some local establishments and seeing some live music. That's what I'm looking forward Absolutely. to. Absolutely. What's going on this day in science? Well, I'm glad you asked. So this day in science, March 10th, uh, this is in 2007, scientists are understanding more about the Earth's magnetic field. So their understanding expands based on some experiments that were done. So scientists from the Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands published their findings on the origin of Earth's magnetic field, expanding and illuminating previous theories as to its creation. So in this study, experiments using spirals of liquid metal were shown capable of producing their own magnetic fields. It was this observation that led experts to propose that Earth's molten core is to thank for the magnetic field that helps to protect our planet. Additionally, these findings led to the creation of research facilities custom-designed to allow unprecedented reproduction of the environment present within Earth's core. So as you know, Earth's core is just one big molten mass of iron. So that's the source of Earth's magnetic field. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because giant ball of melted iron at the core. And it just, for some reason, it makes me think back to this really horrible movie. If you recall, there was a movie, I believe it was just called The Core. And it had Tucci in it. Stanley. Stanley Tucci Tucci was in it. (laughs) Uh, Among I mean, he was the comic relief in this movie. Mm -hmm. But the whole movie starts with birds are flying into windows because, as you know, birds tend to migrate, uh, and their migration is sort of driven by the Earth's magnetic field. So this happenstance it, it forced people to try to you know start questioning what what's happening to the Earth and. They, they discover that there's something wrong with the Earth's magnetic field, and the only way to correct it is to drill into the center of the Earth and I, I like reprogram the, the Earth's core. Some stupid, ridiculous plot. It just was like really far-fetched. It was up there with Armageddon, but at least it had Tucci in it. So Right. I have never heard of this movie in my life, but well, I believe you did, that it was You're a not missing much, trust me. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Well, uh, that's incredibly interesting. Thanks for sharing this yeah. day in science. No problem. This day in science. So what's been uh, going on in the neighborhood, Mary Angela? Well, a couple things. People have been noticing as the weather got, you know, kind of warm, cold, warm, cold lately that woodland creatures are starting to, you know, break free from their moments of hibernation and um, showing up in their yards again. And uh, something that I learned was a creature I, I never really knew much about, um, but apparently they're they're kind of first out of the woods right now. The bears. No. Uh, but people on next door started posting pictures of their yards with these little holes all in them. And they were like, hey, it's like really too cold for most creatures. I know this isn't a groundhog. It's too small. Um, you know, maybe a squirrel. Yes, there's some squirrels out and about, but again, still kind of cold. What in the world could this be? Mm-hmm. Turns out uh, the consensus is voles. Do you voles. Know what a, yeah. Do you know what a vole is? 
It looks kind of like a groundhog, maybe a weasel. I don't know, honestly. is It's a rodent, right? It is a rodent. It's somewhere between a mouse and a like hamster. So it's it's kind of in shape and size, right? So it, it's like maybe like a larger hamster, but not quite as small as a mouse. Hmm. Kind of looks mouse-ish. It's a cross between a villain and a mole. It's a vole. It's a vole. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize that they were here. I didn't I even know what a vole was. I mean, I would have called it a, a mouse. But they another word for them is like field mouse is a vole. And they do, in fact, really enjoy digging holes in your yard because they are looking for uh, buried larva like you know grubs yeah grubs yeah down in and down in the grass um and ground and so once it starts to warm up enough for them to easily be able to get into the ground which it definitely has as of late um they're kind of first out of hibernation to try and get to those before say squirrels and groundhogs and other things that Mm -hmm. need stuff from the ground so um watch out if you've got a yard and you're discovering lots of little holes it's voles so it's a hole it's a vole hole it's a vole hole um but you know they're little and they shouldn't be you know getting into your house they're not that kind of creature you're not going to have a vole knocking on your door for they're they're not interested in, in anything inside your home okay um another thing that came up and this is kind of a lot of back and forth and sort of speaks to a bigger problem. The original post says, insane in all capital letters, that the Houston school dumpsters are being emptied after 10 p.m. exclamation point and illegal three exclamation points. WTH question mark exclamation point. (sighs) This is crazy loud and woke up babies and me. The response to this was really interesting. Of course, you have, you know, your first couple of people who are like, yep, happens all the time. I live right around there. It's terrible. I hear it all the time. Another person's like, yeah, it's not illegal. And the other person responds, no, it is illegal. <laughs> Check well, it out. There's a noise ordinance after 10 p.m., right? Well, it's not about noise ordinance. It's the, the law actually says, it's a Philly code, says that dumpsters may only be serviced between 7 a.m. and 9 p.m. So if they actually made it by 10 p.m., they're actually breaking the law. So mm. the illegal part was there. But the big piece is, you know, some people went to defend here and say, you know, look, these companies that take care of the like it's not the city of philadelphia right it's usually private companies that are being hired to 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 come and take care of the schools kind of you know as an overhire situation because the streets and sanitation are really taxed and those companies are incredibly shorthanded and behind so they basically take care of it when they can take care of it and one of the big complaints about houston particularly talks about how they don't get all of it Every time they almost Mm. always leave some. And one woman commented that she's reached out several times because, you know, they don't pick up all the trash. It's still overflowing in one of the dumpsters, meaning that the trash ends up blowing throughout the playground and the neighborhood. She's like, I can give them another call, but I've been complaining. Nothing happens. So it was interesting because Cindy Bass, who you may know, is the rep for our or for this particular. I'm really kind of gray on where her her zone is, but I know that. People lean to her a lot. Well, and her name came up when we were we were talking about uh, on the last episode about doing new construction, right? Co- correct. And, and yes. 
So yep. she's definitely she's definitely a state representative. I just don't know which what her actual district is, like which one specifically. But I know this she's around this area. Anyway, she actually commented on the post, which I thought was interesting. And she said, I will reach out to the school and to the district to address this. You know, please email me and here's my email address. If it continues to be an ongoing problem, they shouldn't be dumping the trash that yeah. late at night. Like well, bottom it's... line, you're right. That's not okay. I get it. Short staffed. I get it. You gotta do it when you gotta do it. But yeah it's it's residential <laughs> like well, it's nice to have a public figure at least chime in on the issue yes and that was interesting because sometimes she does she's definitely very active on here but a lot of times i've noticed you know she'll sort of wait further down the line and then sort of step in after there's been a lot of conversation mm-hmm. and and put in her two cents which i which i think is great she looks it sounds like she's reading she's paying attention yeah what's happening how the conversation's going and then contributing um when she can which you know i thought was impressive so we'll see, but it, it really kind of just speaks to, you know, a lot of what's been going on. Remember in the summer, there were, you know, weeks where trash didn't get picked up, and that was Philadelphia streets and sanitation being short-staffed. And Well, the whole short-staffing thing is not exclusive to Philadelphia, that's for sure. Of course. Um, you know, even though there are jobs that are coming open, it, it's, I guess, the types of jobs, perhaps, and some people, I think, are, are still hesitant about coming back depending again on the type of job it is mm-hmm. yeah no no kidding so those are the two hot topics i had all right well i had a few things come on my radar uh, one interesting article i came across on the philly mag uh, was really cool it's just sort of a general article it's entitled city hacks everything you need to know about those evil potholes so <laughs> how do you deal with potholes and i'm sure everyone in this neighborhood can empathize because especially in this old neighborhood, you, you, you're bound to hit a pothole depending on what street you're turning on. So it's, it, it just really breaks it down sort of step by step. Uh, if you have a pothole you want to get fixed, really the way you go about doing it is dialing 311 and you basically you file a, a com- it's not really, I guess, a complaint, but you're, it's a filing a report to, to have a pothole addressed. This goes to the street department. Um, that could take some time to actually get addressed. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, everyone can uh, empathize with that one. Uh, so, and part of that, to, to your point, has to do with being short-staffed, uh, yeah. folks being able to come out and address holes. So, so one of the things the article talks about is the number of potholes per year on average you're talking like 20,000 on an average year, 20,000 potholes that the city Whoa. fixes. In a bad year, it could be as many as like 50,000 potholes. And as you know, a lot of these potholes are coming about because you know, we've we got old streets and what ends up happening is you just put street, you build street on top of street. So that's one way you can address potholes is to repave. And that is timely and it... it Blocks you know, off streets. It blocks off streets, you right? Drive and, on that like rumbly road when they dig it up and don't lay the new street yet. Yeah, I mean the neighborhood's the turning into an obstacle course, yeah. right? And part of that is because you have a lot of persistent construction that's popping up here and there, and some of it, yeah, being tied to repaving roads. And even once you've repaved a road, so consider that some of these older roads. They got like cobblestone or brick up underneath of them, and they just asphalt on top of that. And because we don't plow, and the way, I guess, the streets are concave so that you don't get proper runoff, especially in the wintertime, water freezes, asphalt cracks, 
then you get a pothole. So some of the streets are actually considered state routes, and so it would actually be under the control of PennDOT. So PennDOT would be the one responsible for addressing this, and if you wanted to, you could actually contact PennDOT directly. There's a form to fill out, uh, and the number, it's, an, it's supposed to be an easy number to remember, it's 1-800-FIX-ROAD. That's 1-800-FIX-ROAD <laughs> if you wanted to contact PennDOT. But PennDOT's only for, you said, street I mean, um, state so state routes. routes, yeah, but yeah, depending. So local streets, probably not. If it's in your neighborhood, I guess it would fall under the street department. So they actually have. It's interesting. There is a a specific device. It's it's part of uh, a vehicle that comes out. And it's called the pothole killer. <laughs> so basically, it's like a big machine that they just shoot. It's asphalt mixed with tar and rocks into the <laughs> hole to seal it. Bam. That's sort of the quick fix. That's how they address it, using the pothole killer. It only takes one person to come out and fix it. But again, 20,000 potholes to fix in a, in a given year on average. So, yeah. uh, And then it, what I love about the article is it goes on further to say, okay, well, how, how, how do I avoid jacking up my car when I'm driving over a pothole? And the first thing the article says is, why don't you try slowing down? <laughs> Yeah, I don't hit that pothole like super. And I'm thinking, speed. yeah, you know what? That's actually really good advice uh, <laughs> because I, I swear, half the time people are like flying down the road like 35 miles per hour, you know, on local streets, and uh, it's like, oh my gosh! And and the challenge with that, coupled with the fact that people, you know, there's limited parking around the neighborhood, so people are parked right up to the corner. You can't see around the bend, so. You're pulling out, and people are flying down the road. You're 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 taking your life in your hands. So I, yeah. you know, for me, that's always a little anxiety I have around that when I'm driving in the neighborhood. But sure. Anyhow, so tell me, Mary Angela, what is our topic for this week? I thought that we would talk about one of my favorite topics <laughs> because I feel like it hasn't been talked about enough. No, I'm just kidding. People talk about it all the time. I thought I'd talk about Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yes, because um, I am doing a Shakespeare spoof at Laurel at West Laurel Hill Cemetery this May. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a spoof of the Scottish play, a.k.a. Macbeth. I watched Joel Cohen's version. Um, you watched it with me. Mm -hmm. And that you know, got a lot of critical acclaim. There's Oscar nominations from that, so that's pretty hot. But I started thinking about plays of his that most people don't know. So name for me Shakespeare plays off the top of your head that you know. Oh, Shakespeare plays Midnight Summer's Dream. <laughs> Mid Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, so, uh, okay, <laughs> don't laugh at me. I'm a musician, I not know. a theater person. No, that's why I laughed. It's, it's awesome. It's great. Go ahead. I'm not, yeah, I, that I, was I, a no-judgment laugh. That was fantastic. Go ahead. Uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh Romeo and Juliet, obviously. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, a lot of them have Greek names in the title, but uh, educate me. Okay. Well, th those are two of the most popular ones that you've mentioned, uh, Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. And most people know those. Those come to mind, uh, even people who aren't like really into Shakespeare. So that was my non-judgmental laugh. That, that's ha -ha. Right. <laughs> that was amusing. I liked it. Um well, for starters, there are a lot of Shakespeare stories that have been made into movies that you may have heard of that you might not realize were based on Shakespeare stories. Now, there's some obvious ones. For example, West Side Story is clearly Romeo and Juliet. Like, 
if you can't tell that from the start to finish, then you didn't have to read Romeo and Juliet in high school because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's so obvious. It was clearly that. But there's some that are a little more not as straightforward. People don't realize they're actually watching a Shakespeare story because it's been modernized. It has a different name. It's something else. So the first one I always like to bring up when I'm talking about this is 10 Things I Hate About You. Did you ever see that movie? It was Heath Ledger's- 10 Things I Hate About You. It was t- no, Heath- sounds like a love story. It is. It was, it was Heath Ledger's very first American movie. He was an Australian actor, and it was the first movie he was cast in in America. It basically- put him on the map and made him an American movie star. And it came out in 1999. It is one of my favorite Shakespeare stories turned into something modern ever for a couple reasons. Mm-hmm. It's got George, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. Julia Stiles, she's in it as well, mm-hmm. is based on The Taming of the Shrew. Okay, so I know the name The Taming of the Shrew, but what's the story about? I'm glad you asked. So The Taming of the Shrew basically is about the shrew, Catherine, who's very headstrong and opinionated. So I find it amazing that Shakespeare was like, ooh, she's a shrew. No one wants to marry her. She's too headstrong. She's untamable. She's this. Well, she has a younger sister, Bianca. And Bianca is very sweet and very beautiful, and everyone loves Bianca. Suitors out the door for Bianca. But Bianca's father is like, yeah, no, my Bianca is a little too young, and also I don't want her to just get married to any old Tom, Dick, and Harry. Also... I got to get Catherine out the door. She's the oldest Mm -hmm. and no one wants to do it. So he basically is like, nobody gets to date Bianca. (laughs) No one can suit Bianca until somebody takes Catherine off my hands. And Bianca, of course, wants a boyfriend because who wouldn't? And so she meets someone who loves her, but is like, I can't do anything. I have my sister, the shrew, who... (laughs) <laughs> what am I supposed to do? And he, the person who's in love with her, is like, I'm going to pay this guy to go suit her so that I can get her out the door and I can date Bianca, whom I love. Mm-hmm. And, and he does. Uh, and his name in the in Taming of the Shrew is Petruchio. And of course, it's like water and oil. <laughs> they don't get along. There's a great bunch of scenes about how much they don't get along. And yet he still persists and persists and persists. And eventually, quote unquote, tames her. <laughs> she falls in love with him to only find out that this was all planned. Uh, yeah, a, a whole thing. Um, and and but at that point, they're already actually in love with each other. That sounds like classic Hollywood romance material. Sure. Right there. And and this particular film version, Ten Things I Hate About You, is set in Verona High School. Uh, Verona, a nice kickback to Romeo and Juliet. Correct. And um, they have a lot of interesting little Easter eggs like that throughout the film, both in names, of both course. in at the dance that happens at the end, the prom or whatever. There's a girl who, you know, comes fully dressed in like an Ophelia dress, like on purpose because she's the theater girl and it's full of great stuff. It's got actually some great music. Save Ferris is the band that plays a lot of the music in in the film and actually appears at the dance. So mm-hmm. um, it's very 1999. It's also just adorable and it's pretty great if you've never seen it you should check it out another one that kind of came out around the same ish time which is based on a different story of Shakespeare's is She's the Man which was an Amanda Bynes film that came out in 2006 and that is actually based on the story of Twelfth Night with just for reference Taming of the Shrew is written in 1590 
So here we are in 1999, retelling a story that was written in 1590. And with She's the Man, that movie came out in 2006, and Twelfth Night was written in 1602. Mm. So, like, talk about writing stories that stand the test of time. Right. Everything <laughs> old is new again. Well, not even that. It's just, like, it's identifiable, right? Mm-hmm. People are like, yeah, no, I get this. Shakespeare had his finger on the pulse of humanity somehow. So the best description I can give you of Twelfth Night, have you ever heard of Twelfth Night? No, I haven't. Okay. Here's basically in a nutshell what She's the Man is about, which is also basically what Twelfth Night is about. Duke, who wants Olivia, who likes Sebastian, who is really Viola, whose brother is dating Monique, so she hates Olivia, who is with Duke to make Sebastian jealous, who is really Viola, who is crushing on Duke, who thinks she's a guy. Okay, I'm a little confused. Twelfth Night. (laughs) That's basically Twelfth Night. Exactly. (laughs) So in the Shakespeare version... It is two siblings, Sebastian and Viola, who basically are shipwrecked because, boy, does Shakespeare love a good storm at sea that Mm -hmm. washes you to shore. And they're washed ashore, but they're separated so that Viola basically has to go in into the city by herself, unaccompanied, right? She's a woman unaccompanied by her brother. Mm -mm. And so she goes in and poses basically as her brother to be sort of accepted. And she takes a job with, with a nobleman as his page, but as Sebastian. Right. As a boy. And... She falls in love with him. This, I was just going to say, this sounds like Yentl. <laughs> right, right. So she, she's like, but I love you. Right. But he's in love with this other person. <laughs> yeah. Right. And right. And and so then he's like, Sebastian, you got to help me. Go woo her. Go tell her how much I love her and, and get her to, to come and talk to me. And so Sebastian goes to do that. But the girl, instead of going to talk to him, falls in love with Sebastian, who's actually Viola, right. a girl. So in the She's a Man version, it's, you know, modern times and it's set at a prep school. And in this one, Viola takes her brother Sebastian's place at prep school because she wants a better education and a better like soccer team or something. Mm -hmm. She's like some sports kid. And uh, I think it's Channing Tatum that plays Duke. So, oh, that's it. It's a Duke. in, In the real play, she becomes an apprentice to a Duke. Explains why his name was Duke in this movie. Anyway, um, yeah, and it's a whole lot of misunderstanding and back and forthing and whatever. And I'm sorry, but there's no way in the free world that anyone can mistake Amanda Bynes for a dude. I'm just going to say that. It was completely <laughs> implausible. <laughs> but usually when you see Twelfth Night on stage, that's always something that tends to happen. Directors tend to cast women who, well, who very it, much seem like women dressed as men. Yeah, And it's interesting, though, because it touches on the theme of gender bending a little bit, which I, I would think especially in that era, was a little like, you know, a subject that people just wouldn't approach, at least in a, a public way. Sure. But to be able to inc- it, to capture that in a story, uh, you know, can speak volumes. Well, and something else that I find very interesting, for a man who wrote this story in 1602, when women couldn't be actors. Mm-hmm. So it means the women character in this play in 1602 had to be played by a man dressed as a woman <laughs> like what <laughs> anyway so 12th night uh, she's the man that's the modern version of that did you know that hamlet was written in 1599 and one of the most obvious remakes of hamlet in in our modern time that wasn't actually called hamlet because you can't throw a stick without hitting a version of hamlet like mm-hmm. there's a thousand different movie versions of hamlet as it is. It's true. Way uh, too many, honestly. It's an animated film. Can you guess what it is? 
first, uh, without knowing, I would assume it's a Disney film. <laughs> you are correct. Ha ha. The Lion King is Hamlet. That is that is the story. Scar, the uncle, the you know person so, who's hungry for the throne, all of that. I mean, it, it really is Hamlet. Without being specifically Hamlet, it is it's Hamlet. It veers from the story because it's a Disney film and it's about animals. But it very much is still in line with all of the sort of core themes and the how, you know, greed makes you do things. I mean, uh, but the character Hamlet, that's represented by Simba, right? Correct. The prince. yes. Yes. And his father is killed by Scar. Who now wants him gone, which is exactly what happens in Hamlet, Mm -hmm. right? Claudius kills his father and then Claudius is out for Hamlet and Hamlet kind of goes mad because Hamlet knows that Claudius did this and that it's it's terribly wrong. And, you know, he's confused and trying to sort of prove it and regain his throne. Mm -hmm. And then the Disney movie takes a much nicer path to the ending than Shakespeare, where everyone dies and people get poisoned and... People go mad. Yeah, and usually drown. Shakespeare doesn't have happy endings to his. <laughs> right. No, Hamlet's definitely a tragedy, and the Lion King is, while tragic that Simba's father died, it doesn't actually end in tragedy, which is right great. because it's a Disney film. Correct. Um, but, Although Bambi. But it's there. Well, yeah, there's that. Anyway, so then there were a couple really obscure ones that I found very interesting. So there is a dark comedy that came out in 2001 that is actually a version of Macbeth written in 1606. And this one is called Scotland PA. (laughs) Get it? Uh, It's a modernized retelling of Macbeth set in 1970s suburban Pennsylvania. Joe Macbeth is an unambitious hamburger stand employee. What was his last name again? Joe Macbeth. Macbeth. Okay. <laughs> An unambitious hamburger stand employee is driven to success by his scheming wife. So, I mean, which is basically Macbeth. But I thought it was really interesting because it's a dark comedy. And then there's a movie called The World Were Mine, which was an indie film that got a bunch of awards from like Sundance and that kind of stuff. It mm-hmm. came out in 2008 and it is based on A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is from 1596. And uh, this one, one of the reviews that I read for it said it was like the next Hedwig because basically it is a bullied and demoralized gay student at the all boys school uses magical flower derived from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream to turn many of his community gay, including a rugby player for himself. So it's if you know Midsummer Night's Dream, you know that it's all about putting the flower on the wrong people's eyes and the wrong people fall in love with the other people. It's, and yeah, it's, it's it's a comedy it's, of errors. It and sure it's, is. It's like intertwining love story with mishap. It's like watching an episode of Three's Company. Oh, no, I just dated myself. Correct. But this one takes place at an all-boys school, and there's a lot of drama and music involved, and it looks pretty great. So I'm probably going to look that one up, too. Mm. Now, one that most people don't touch beyond doing like a real authentic version of it is King Lear and King Lear was written in 1606 and there is actually a western like a true like western style film that was made in 2002 called The King of Texas which is a western adaptation of King Lear yeah so tell me I because I'm not really familiar with this story so in a nutshell this is King Lear It's a tragedy, and it's based on the mythological Lear of Britain. So he wasn't a real king, but there's like a myth of the Lear of Britain, okay? And King Lear relinquishes his power and land to two of his daughters. He becomes destitute and insane and prescribed crux of political machinations. So that's that's basically, in a nutshell, what King Lear is. He, like, leaves his 
land and fortunes to his daughters. The daughters end up sort of fighting over it. It causes all kinds of problems in their lives. He goes crazy and he wanders through the, I don't know if it's a desert. I mean, I've seen it done a couple different ways. Sometimes it's a desert. Sometimes it's a forest. Sometimes it's a whatever, but he goes kind of mental. He runs into a fool. The character of the fool in King Lear is actually a pretty big character because you're never 100% sure if the fool is real, right? Is it or in his mind? hallucinating. Correct. And depending on how it's done, like I've seen it done a couple different ways. It it's, it's about interpretation, right? But politics is at its core. Everyone's kind of mad because here's this king who basically was like, I'm... I'm going to give you my daughter this and you my daughter this and I'm going to go wander the desert. Right. <laughs> and and it, there's just a lot of things that happen. It's generally not one of his more liked pieces. People either love it or they hate it, really. But think about this set in, you know, the Republic of Texas during the early 19th century. And this one's starring Patrick Stewart and Marsha Gay Harding. So I feel like it would actually translate to Texas pretty well. Well, there's a lot of desert out there. <laughs> there's that. And politics in the early 1900s, right? Because that's when, you know, Texas is getting its, full, its foothold as a state. You know, I'm sorry. During the 19th century, that would be the 1800s. Yes, the 1800s. My apologies. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yep. So, I mean, I think I'd kind of like to dig up that movie also. That sounds like something I'd like to do. Aside from movies that have been made in stories, there's a couple other stories of Shakespeare's that I think don't get enough press or publicity that I wanted to share in this time. One of them is listed as a comedy, and I'm not really sure why. So it's Pericles. Okay. Have you ever heard of Pericles? I've heard of it, but again, I'm not familiar with the story. Yep. So Pericles was written in 1609, still kind of around the same time. And it's listed in any anthology you get of Shakespeare's as a comedy. But I've seen this play like three times, and I've read it probably more than that. And I don't understand why they consider it a comedy. So it has some comedic moments, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not a full-on comedy. So the play opens in the court of Antiochus, and I'm probably going to say all kinds of names wrong. So just heads up for that. If you're out here listening and you're- It's all Greek to me. Right. I was like, and you're a Shakespearean scholar and I've mispronounced a name. I apologize profusely. You're going to get phone calls. I promise you. Email me at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com and tell me all about it. That's right. So anyway, it opens in the court of Antiochus and the king, Antioch, who has offered the hand of his beautiful daughter to any man who answers his riddle. But those who fail shall die. Mm. Ha ha, comedy. (laughs) Sounds hilarious already. Right? Like, what? Okay. I'm dying to know what the riddle is. Well, I can read it for you. So let's see if you can figure out what the riddle is. Okay. I am no viper, yet I feed on mother's flesh, which did me breed. I sought a husband in which labor I found that kindness in a father. He's father's son and husband mild. I mother, wife, and yet his child, how they may be, and yet in two, as you will live, resolve it you. I first have to break that one down and, and sort of draw <laughs> the family tree there for a second. Yup. Yeah. That's, that's, that's basically what the riddle is. That's a tricky one. Yeah. And it's it's designed to to stump people because he doesn't want to give up his daughter. And the riddle pretty much says why he doesn't want to give up his daughter. Mm, got right. it. It's an incestual situation. Ooh. <laughs> right. There's <laughs> always something. Comedy. <laughs> yeah. 
right? Seeing... Nothing funnier than incest. Right? No, not really. Right. And that's where I was just like, why Weird. is this listed in comedy? Like, you've got to be kidding me. So, um, Pericles hears the riddle and instantly understands its meaning. And of course, Antigus is enraged and in an incestuous relationship with his daughter. If he answers incorrectly, he will be killed. But if he reveals the truth, he'll he will be, be killed, killed too. Anyway, exactly. Yes. Ha ha, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, why is this you're a comedy? You're darned if you do, you're darned it's if you don't. It's not a comedy. He hints that he knows the answer and he asks for more time to think. And Antiochus grants him 40 days and then sends an assassin after him. However, Pericles has fled the city in disgust. He's like, I don't want to marry this girl. This place is crazy. I'm yeah. out. Peace out. Um, and, but, uh, but he's being pursued by an assassin. Right. So then he returns uh, to Tyre, so where he's from. And he has a friend and a counselor who advises him to leave the city um, because surely he's going to be hunted down and he leaves um as a regent and sails for another city but the city is actually beset by famine so the generous pericles gives the governor of the city grain from his ship to save their people the famine ends and after being thanked profusely pericles continues on so now he's on like a mission trip kind of taking a different direction it sounds like correct but then a storm comes because we know shakespeare likes storms and his ship washes up on the shores of Pentopolis. He's rescued by a group of poor fishermen who inform him that the king of Pentopolis is holding a tournament the next day and the winner will receive the hand of his daughter in marriage. Fortunately, one of the fishermen drags Pericles' out, suit of armor out from the storm. So great. He's washed up on shore and he has armor to fight in this tournament to get a wife hooray <laughs> serendipity right although his equipment is rusty pericles wins the tournament that's the comic part right the, there <laughs> right and the hand uh of thasia who is deeply attracted to him in marriage so uh you know they get married or they are about are betrothed or however that works and then the assassin shows up sort of so then a letter sent by the nobleman reaches Pericles in Pentopolis, who decides to return to Tyre with the pregnant. No, no, they're married. She's pregnant. They got married. Okay. Uh, again, the storm arises while at sea because you can't be at sea without a storm. And Thasia appears to die giving birth to her child. Mm -hmm. Comedy. The sailors insist that Thasia's body be set overboard in order to calm the storm. The only way the storm's going to stop is if we throw a dead body in the water. This body overboard. Makes Pericles perfect sense. grudgingly agrees and decides to stop at Tarsus because he fears that Marina may not survive the storm. Marina is their daughter who was Got born. It. Luckily, Thasia's casket washes ashore near the residence of Lord Ceremon, a physician who revives her. Hooray, she's not dead. Thinking that Pericles uh, has died in the storm, Thasia becomes a priestess in the temple of Diana because she's like, I have no husband. He's dead in the storm. Why not be a priest? Pericles departs to rule Tyre, leaving Marina in the care of Cleon and Dionysus. So he goes back to the place that he saved from famine, leaves his daughter there, and is like, I'm going to go back and be a prince of the country that I came from in the first place before I went on this crazy journey. There's the comedy. Uh, <laughs> Marina grows up to be more beautiful than the daughter of Cleon and Dionysus. So Dionysus plans Marina's murder because... You can't be prettier than the people's, you're the stepchild. It's like Cinderella. The plan was thwarted when pirates kidnap Marina and then sell her to a brothel. There, Marina manages to keep her virginity by convincing the men that they should seek virtue. Worried that she is ruining their market, the brothel rents her out as a tutor to respectable young ladies. She becomes famous for music and other 
entertainment. I'm starting to question what's the theme of this story here. Exactly. Meanwhile, Pericles returns to Tarsus for his daughter. The governor's wife claimed that she has died. In grief, he takes to the sea again. Stop going to sea, Pericles. Nothing good happens to you at the sea. Pericles' wanderings bring him to Mytilene, where the governor, seeking to cheer him up, brings in Marina. They compare their sad stories and joyfully realize that they are father and daughter. Next, the goddess Diana appears in a dream to Pericles and tells him to come to the temple where he finds Thasia, the wicked Cleon, because remember, she's the priest, his wife. Mm -hmm. So now he's going to be reunited with his wife. The wicked Cleon and Dionysa are killed when their people revolt against their crime. Weird. Okay, so now let's tie it all together here. What modern film films uh, are a reflection of the story? None. This particular play, I find it interesting because there's so much going on. You kind of have to weed out some stuff to really make it like entertaining to an audience. A lot of people have a theory that this play, because of when it was written... And when other ones were written, was kind of a testing ground for different types of stories that he then plucked from it, Got it. and took in another direction and did other things with it. Because if you read some of his other ones, you're kind of like, oh, it There's has some elements, right? There. When you when you asked about themes, right, you were kind of spot on because it's like, yeah, what what is the theme of this? It's kind of a lot of them. It's all over the place, right? So maybe he was writing and testing out some different kind of things. Ended up in one play because you know he had a deadline puts on this play and then he comes back to it later and he's like, great, this part, I'm going to take this, pluck it out here. It's going to be a part mm -hmm. of this story. I'm going to take this, pluck it out here and make it a part of the other story. He was testing the waters. Well, because there are other stories like The Tempest, which he wrote afterwards, mm -hmm. which is all about storms at sea and how they ride and who's responsible for them, right? In The Tempest, he taps into the magical and it's about... Prosperous, who is sort of a sorcerer, who creates all these tempests, who creates these storms to wash people ashore and mess uh. with their lives, kind of like the Greek gods did, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. No, and, he draws a lot from, and all of that. From yeah. The Greek. No. So, um, but that one's just fascinating to me because it's it's all over the place. I would recommend the Tempest. It is a very interesting story, and if you're the kind of person who really likes blood and gore, uh, Titus Andronicus is hmm. pretty rough and pretty gory. As a matter of fact. It was written in 1568, and um, yeah, people people tried to to sort of bring it up, you know, like after after its time in the 17. Or people 16, didn't like getting spattered with blood in the audience, right? Well, it's just it's just the story. It's cruelty, and there's some cannibalism involved. Ooh. Like he he basically tricks them mm. into eating their like tastes like chicken relatives. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's rough. But if you're into that sort of thing, um, I recommend Titus Andronicus. Interesting. So, that's it. That's all I got. Uh, if anyone has any thoughts or comments regarding Shakespeare or literary themes or movie themes, please feel free to uh... reach out to us. You can email us at what do you know gtown at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at what do you know about that. Drop us a DM. Excellent. And please stay tuned because we're going to take a quick break and come right back. And we have our guest musician for this afternoon is Allison Page Hilly. So stay tuned. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. All right, so welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us. It's now time for our segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And joining us today is Allison Page Hilly, a.k.a. Alley Cat. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. 
nice to be here. So what parts around Philly are you from about? I live in Roxburgh, Maniunk, and I lived here for over a decade. I also lived in South Philly at one point, but yeah, so I've been in Roxburgh, Maniunk section of Philadelphia for a while. You know, this segment is dedicated to musicians, so give us a little bit of background here and tell us what's been going on musically in your life. I mean, I've been uh, a musician as long as I can remember and uh, started in the early days. Uh, My mom's a musician and uh, she started teaching me songs and piano at a very young age. And um, I was on some local television shows back in my early childhood. Television Um, shows like what? (laughs) The Al Albert show, which is a very old school local Philadelphia television show that I don't know if you're from the area back then in the eighties, but Oh my gosh. um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, it was a fun little talent show from there. I went kind of into some theater and uh, loved doing some musical theater for many years. And then I kind of focused more in high school and college on um, music and singing piano. And then in high school, I picked up the bass guitar and fell in love with it. Kind of started playing in bands, playing bass and singing. And I actually went to school for vocal performance, um, which was specifically opera at University of Delaware. And so the background in in operatic singing. And I worked on some some jazz in college. I joined the jazz band and kind of started going more contemporary. And and then I kind of started my own band in college and and from there kind of stemmed into some touring Uh, my brother's a drummer and so we were kind of like writing music and and touring together and then I started you know doing some event bands and that kind of thing too like dabbling in that a little bit and then I got this audition to be in a touring band with a a legendary guitarist David Bromberg I don't know if you oh yeah oh wow Bromberg yes so that was a really great experience. Um, I went on the road with David Bromberg and Angel Band, his wife's band, and toured all over the country with them. And that was a phenomenal experience. Something so that were I... you playing bass during this time or no, you doing vocals no, no. as well? Um, just um, uh, a lead and backup vocalist for them. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So so tell me a little back up for a second. How did you end up landing that gig? So... I had recorded with one of their producers, engineers, and band member in Angel Band. And they referred me to come audition because they had heard me in the studio. And so I came down and um, and auditioned. And they, I think they called me that night or like the next wow. day. Right place, but, right time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was a, it was a great little connection there. Delaware connection. I was, um, I was doing some children's music with a wonderful musician, Bill Courier and We Kids Rock. And there, there was a connection there. Oh, wow. Uh, Very cool. So um, I have a question. <laughs> so yeah, shoot. that's, that's a lot of really great experience like just even you know starting as a young performer and and having music in your life from an early age so did you always know that you this is something you wanted to go into or was it just kind of like you took these steps and one thing led to another and you're like maybe I'm gonna 
go do this? Or was it always something that even from that early age when music came into your life, you're like, this is what I want to do? I think it was just always there. It's a good question. I think it's probably a little bit of both. It just was kind of always there. And I'm grateful to have my very musical family that nurtured me, guided me in that direction. And then also they helped me with lessons and auditions for plays and musicals and things like that, which kind of just like built on the, uh, the love of, of music and, and the arts basically. So, and, and then it was just kind of always there nice. from on. Cool. That's great. So what are you doing nowadays? How are you staying <laughs> active? What's keeping you busy <laughs> aside from children? <laughs> yeah, I am very much um, a mom and that's keeping me busy, very busy. Um, and I love it. So um, I have and, you know, and pandemic life. So it's been tough to be active in the music scene as much as Word. I <laughs> once was, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I was just talking to um, a wonderful producer that I am going to be working with soon, Adrian Harpfum, we're, we're having this conversation. I was just telling him how I'm, I'm just like slowly making my way back towards my original music and, uh, and writing and recording. And, um, it feels really good to be newly inspired to, to yes. write and record again. So I'm excited for that. No, and, that's, uh, that's really cool. Now, and just to connect a few dots for our listeners, Adrian, is also, uh, he's played drums and produced uh, an artist who has been on our program before, and that's E.J. Simpson. Yeah. And yep, so- E.J., very good friend of mine. Um, worked with him a lot. And uh, yes, I met Adrian through him, so I'm going to be uh, working with him to produce a track coming up. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And so I'm just slowly working on uh, writing, recording, and um, and setting up shows, slowly getting back into it. It's just interesting because before pre-pandemic, when I was, you know, mostly active, and so now it's just a kind of a different world, the music scene, and there's like all these new platforms that I'm slowly checking out, <laughs> but I'm just not, not there yet. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, when I was super active, Spotify wasn't even really a major thing yet. So I'm looking forward to kind of building on those new platforms and, and checking those out and getting um, out there with those different things. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about your music a little bit. So I'm curious, how would you describe your style? Um, It's definitely rooted in, in soul jazz music. But there's uh, kind of some folk and a splash of rock, some splash of funk. A little slap of the bass. <laughs> a little slap it out of the bass, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although these days, um, it's a little different. It's a little more mellow, almost like experimenting with some electronic elements. It's um, it's it's different. It's newly, newly Alley Cat 2.0 or whatever. <laughs> so Alley Cat, where did that come from? That's just a nickname that I've always had. I I honestly think my my voice teacher in high school coined it officially. So it's kind of always been a nickname of mine for a long time. Tell us uh, what 
all you play. So I've heard you just mention bass and mention that you do vocals. And I think I heard piano in there. Like, so is when we listened to the tune that we're going to play for you today and there's a lot of great sounds on there. Is that all you? Do you work with, you know, kind of a core group of your favorite musicians? Like, tell, tell us what all, what all do you play and, <laughs> and, and who all's on this song? So I primarily, prim- primarily a vocalist and bassist. Um, I also play a little guitar and keys as well. This, the track that I sent you is a, a track I did with, um, a great producer, Tim Sonnefeld. He's from Philly and, um, LA producer now. And he was, it was just such a great experience working with him. Pretty sure that he plays most of the basic tracks on this it's been a few years since we recorded it. So I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I think he plays mostly everything on it, except for the lead guitar. John Globitz is the lead guitarist, who's a really great musician and friend of mine, um, nice. who's um, toured in my band for years. And Cool. Was this recorded in Philly? Yeah, this was recorded in Philly at okay. uh, Retro City Studios. Retro yeah. City. He was in town for um, a couple months and we, we connected and, uh, or maybe he wasn't even here for that long. It was a kind of a quick process that we, we, it was maybe a couple of weeks that at like of a window, we went and recorded it while he was here. So. Okay. And then the theme of the song here, cause we've, you know, listened to the song already and there's a very clear theme here. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, is this, is this personal experience or tell um, us, tell yeah. us a little about it. Yeah. <laughs> So the song, the song is called Another Woman, and um, it can kind of be about whatever you interpret it to be about. But there's there's like a there's a twist in the song. If, if you can kind of listen closely to the lyrics and figure it out, it's kind of it's kind of silly, really. OK. <laughs> All right. Want to give it a play? Yeah, we're going to play it. So check it out. Alley Cat, this is what's that? <laughs> You can figure out the twist. (laughs) Okay. Alley Cat, Another Woman.
I can definitely hear um, the soul influence when you were describing your music. And I was, I was so glad that you kind of said that because I was like, yeah, when I was first listening to it, it did. it, And it felt because I think the definition of soul is so um, varied in a lot of ways. And like a lot of people leap to saying, oh, it's, you know, it, it's folk music. If it's telling a story, if it's, you know, themed in emotion like that. But I was like, no, this song is super soulful and your voice is very soulful. And I liked it a lot. Thank you. Thanks. Um, for my music, I, I I feel like for the most part, I, it's pretty simple and subtle. It's kind of just the way it comes out when I when it, when I write it. And the track is really well produced. Yeah. Well, where can we find these tunes? Because I don't really see, like you were saying, you're starting to get into Spotify. What sort of visibility if someone were to look your name up? You know, do you have your stuff on Bandcamp? You know, yeah. Where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, my first. Two albums are on Spotify under Alley Cat, A-L-Y-C-A-T, because there's a lot of different spellings of Alley Cat. And our third album is on Bandcamp called We Are Music. There are several videos on YouTube under Alley Cat, A-L-Y-C-A-T, that we produced for for those albums. And um, we did this cool project several years ago um, featuring the, mu- the a lot of musicians in the in the Philly music scene and actually shot it and recorded it on location um, it was a big project uh, spearheaded by Brendan McGeehan oh yeah and, we know Brendan yeah 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 um, great musician and producer and uh, um, so that's a fun one to check out it's called we are music and the new music uh, is in process um another woman actually has not even been released yet so um that's going to be released hopefully this year in the new you know um in the near future and uh then the idea is to kind of release the tracks as i'm finished with them cool well hey thanks for thank you so much for being with us and talking with us everybody get online and and check out some of alley cat's music it's really great yeah thank you and if you want to like teach me how to use the TikTok and the other ones. Anybody, you know, have any uh, advice on marketing on those? I'm working on it. It takes a team, I tell you. It really does. Thank you all for um, for having this great platform and for what you guys are doing too.